successful year in popular culture. We've seen the release of some quality films, the debut of some very fun TV shows, and some major changes to the way we enjoy our favourite movies and shows. I'm Daryl Tan, and with me today are Thomas Ray, Nick Barron, and M Bag. Hi, Daryl. 2015 saw the surge in popularity of streaming sites in Australia such as Netflix, Stan, and Presto. Nick, another bland, watered question for you. What are these services and how have they changed our viewing habits? I mean, well, these are really the importation into Australia of the streaming media concept that's already so popular in other parts of the world, especially uh, North America and to a lesser degree Europe as well. It changes our viewing habits because it really solidifies a trend that's already been prevalent amongst particularly Australia's younger generation for a number of years now, which is that people want to consume media on their own time. They don't want to be confined uh, by antiquated television broadcast schedules and seasons, especially in a, a media market like Australia, which has traditionally been so hard done by our seasons don't align with those in North America. So we often get uh, material late or not at all, depending on how content deals are struck. So it's been a real boon for Australian consumers. I do think that Australia has probably been held back slightly in that a lot of these services are owned by traditional media players, such as Foxtel or the uh, broadcast networks, whereas in America, with the possible exception, I think, of Hulu, most of the popular streaming platforms are independent um, and therefore not tied to existing media structures. So that's something that I think will change over time. But Netflix in particular has been the one that's really shaken things up. It's also great for Australians because historically we've been, uh, you know... uh, very, we, we pirate stuff. We steal stuff online more than just about any other country in the world. But what this shows is if we are given a fair deal, uh, we're willing to pay for it. It's just that, you know, obviously we, we have had the Australia tax slapped on us uh, from anything that's, that comes in from overseas. Uh, it's not a literal tax, Daryl, so stop looking at me like that. But, uh, yeah, basically Aussies are on board with Netflix and obviously, uh, you know, there, there have been offshoots. There's Stan and so on, which haven't performed quite as well, but... Um, We'll see how that goes because Netflix is going to be shaking up its content in the next year or so. It better because Netflix at the moment is supremely disappointing. Um, and one of the interesting things for me has been watching everyone kind of go, well, this is Netflix and this is how you access Netflix. And now what we'll do is we're going to find a VPN and pay for a VPN server mm-hmm. and that's how we're going to access the content. So not only are we going, this is a really cool innovative thing that we're going to get on board with, we're also going above and beyond and saying how can we improve it. Mm-hmm. for a better service for ourselves. I can't understand why Australia doesn't get the same shows as America. I have absolutely no idea. I think the reason for that is that there are existing uh, content deals that tie things up. Mm. So, for instance, um, you know, it may be that a content, particular content provider in the United States struck a deal you know, 10 years ago to provide content exclusively to Channel 7 or Foxtel or another media provider first, and that's what gums the whole thing up. That's why... Mm. Uh, regions are not necessarily equal Mm -hmm. Um, which also brings me to one other thing which may be an uh, an unintended consequence of um, the popularity of streaming services which is what it does to um, existing media services and in particular what it means for Australian content so I think more and more we're seeing um, Australian channels kind of empty out Mm. quality content and so particularly the big three commercial networks are devolving, I'd say, at an increasing rate into endless, uh, long-running reality event shows based around uh, what you can do in the kitchen or how um, well you can do on a dating show and so on. Um, Plus low cost, yeah. low production. And in particular, I, I'm not sure what that'll mean for Australian mm-hmm. drama and comedy in the long term. The ABC is still doing some quite innovative stuff. On idea, yeah. Yeah, 
Um, but those new platforms, your Netflix, your Stan, um, your Presto, I'm not entirely sure how local content rules apply to those, if they apply at all. Um, and so whether or not we're going to still be able to see Australian stories being told on the small screen, I think it's an open question. On the big screen, it's a completely different matter. The Australian box office has had its biggest year, uh, I, I think, since the turn of the century. So With Foxtel as well, they have paid, uh, you know, historic amounts for um, sports coverage. So Foxtel seems to be trying to, you know... Um, mm sandbag itself against netflix through through sport and that you know we'll, we'll see where that and yet there's leaks appearing in the wall there because they lost epl rights to optus of all people mm. so you know it's the future who knows what's going to happen i think one interesting thing about what you said about australian content is that abc iview is doing amazingly absolutely it's, it's doing really really well and that's proving really popular for australian made content particularly shows like please like me which is insanely good, um, and you know, was then sold to America. So we are exporting content, and the ABC has a really important role in making sure that Australia is still making TV and good TV. 2015 also saw the release of a number of sequels of films <laughs> classics in a phenomenon referred to as the rise of the nostalgia sequels, which included Jurassic World, Mad Max Fury Road, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Creed. Tom, in an era of recessions and terror attacks, can the popularity of nostalgia sequels be explained by audiences yearning for safer times? Yeah, look, that's I think that's what it boils down to. And, it, you know, you would include things like the Ninja Turtles uh, movies, you'd include the, the Transformers movies, all these things which are, um, you know... And, and, and Star Wars is probably the best example because um, people have such an affection for the movies that came out then and in safer times when, again, America was... Uh, you know, winning the winning the Cold War and winning the space race and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, obviously they weren't secure times really, but in 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 you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we think of them that way. So um, there is a warm afterglow. I'd also add that, by the way, uh, Ghostbusters is getting another movie, um, and uh, you know, I'm sure there are there are a whole lot more. Yeah, I don't think that's quite it. And I think it's interesting to look at you know some of those movies individually. We don't know yet. No. Um, how Star Wars The Force Awakens will turn out. It could turn out to be quite a a good story or it could turn out to be a pretty thin remake of A New Hope Mm -hmm. uh, in that it starts on a desert planet. It looks like there's some sort of Death Star-type weapon in there that's going to be attacked with Mm X-Wings. So it it, it may go down that route just as Star Trek Into Darkness wound up being kind of a remake of Wrath of Khan Mm -hmm. and Jurassic World wound up being a remake of uh, Jurassic Park. I think Mad Max is probably lumped in there unfairly. I think Mad Max Fury Road actually showed that you can take an old franchise and expand it outwards and do some quite new and quite challenging things with it. Um, And I don't think it's necessarily just a a yearning for a simpler time. The international box office is more of a factor than ever in deciding what movies get made. Um, And it seems as though on a global scale, what people want is kind of more of the same, which is what's really driving this. There simply isn't an appetite for new content in the way that we all might hope that there is. Um, the, the biggest probably example of this kind of nostalgia coming through is coming out of Disney's live action arm, which is increasingly just remaking its old mm. um, animated movies as live action movies. Cinderella came out this year and was a huge hit. The Jungle Book will be coming out next year. Mm. Um, and so it's a really strange time that we're living in where we're just not only seeing the same ideas or the same characters presented over and over again but more or less active remakes of those same movies i can't quite put my finger on why that is but i'd i'm not sure that that i mean it could just be that studios playing it safe and it obviously the payout is ridiculous for things 
like it, well for sequels right it's almost always yeah. a commercial success and even though like I would throw in Avengers Age of Ultron this year um, you know I, I think retrod a fair amount of ground from the first Avengers movie um, and was I would say not as good as the first one but did it make more money I'm uh, no it didn't okay well, anyway, big commercial success, we'd have to say. And if you're playing it safe, you just want to return on your investment. That's true. You know. And movies, these movies are costing more and more than ever before. True. Like, uh, 10 years ago would have been... A movie costing more than $100 million to make would have been noteworthy. Now it's now movies approaching a $200 million budget, mm. um, as I believe The Force Awakens is. I think $190 million. It's essentially routine. That's insane. I think... Quite cynically, I'd say that I'm actually really disappointed to see all these sequels being made, partly because um, one of the really important things that's happened in film lately has been the the rise of like, female voices on film and more diverse voices, particularly not only in acting but also in directing. Um, and that investment seems to be there, but kind of it's been pushed out by these nostalgia sequels or whatever you want to call them. And I think... If you are talking about yearning for a simpler time, maybe people are yearning for a time when you can say, well, this was popular before, so we're going to do it again, and it's still going to show our voices, and it's going to show the point of, points of view that we want, and it's not going to be threatening in any way because we know people like it, and so we're going to continue to put investment into those and put crowd out the, the voices that could potentially be heard and are trying to be heard. Well, a possible counterpoint to that, though, I think to a degree makes the same point. The Ghostbusters remake has an all-female cast. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, and I would, I would say something that confirms that is you look at the type of people who are directing these movies, and you know some of them are more successful than others, but there's a certain degree of interchangeability when it comes to J.J. Abrams, Joss Whedon, mm. Josh Trank, Colin Trevorrow. Um, one thing that I will particularly disappoint me if it happens with this current trend is that I worry that I'm I'm a big Star Wars fan and I worry that I'm going to become sick of Star Wars in the next 10 years. That that really worries me. It, it, we talk about Star Wars as always having been big business and that's true, but it was also the product of George Lucas's vision, however flawed that might have been. Now it is expressly a corporate product. It's a Disney property. We're going to be getting a new movie from now until who knows every year, plus TV shows, plus all the rest of it. And Am I going to be ready for a point in time when Star Wars becomes an obligation for me, just like I suppose Marvel kind of is at the moment? And that, that kind of worries me. Well, JJ, I mean, this is going to be the first Star Wars film to be made by a out-and-out uh, Star Wars nerd, right? A guy who grew up with it and just has that mythology in his head, that kind of reverence for the material. We'll see. I think it's going to be really good, but I'm, I'm possibly being optimistic there. Um, I think... This plays into the same thing, though. J.J. Abrams is, is exactly what we're talking about with the nostalgia yeah. seat. He's just the manifestation of that. I'm not so worried about The Force Awakens. I'm worried what happens when right, I look right. down and I'm like, oh, good, the Han the second Han Solo movie is coming out. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. Finally, the very successful and the very enjoyable Marvel Cinematic Universe grew a little bigger this year with the debut of two new TV series, Jessica Jones and Daredevil, and the release of the very lovable Ant-Man played by Paul Rudd. Tom, you've really enjoyed Jessica Jones and Daredevil, haven't you? Well, yeah, I think Jessica Jones is great, and I know Em's got a lot to say about it. Um, I thought Ant-Man was a good example of uh, an overreach. Um, I was bored. I thought Paul Rudd was kind of funny, but I think you could have boiled that movie into a you know, five-minute little introduction in a in a um, Avengers movie in the future or a, or a Civil War, however that may be. You can't see Daryl right now, but he is crying. Yeah, he's upset. 
Um, I, you know, Paul Rudd's fine, but the movie itself, you know, the, the biggest moment in Ant-Man for me was the fact that they said, okay, the first thing we need to do is call the Avengers. And that's the problem with the Marvel uh, kind of material. <laughs> Why don't you just call the Avengers? They're constantly explaining away the, the fact that you can't just call the Avengers because, you know, you haven't got the stars or whatever. And it's the same with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is another thing that came out. Oh, uh, it's, God, Agents it's, of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's kind of eternally on the periphery of, of the Marvel Universe. And every so often in an episode, someone will say, oh, Iron Man just flew overhead, but they haven't got the budget for the, to get the CGI to put him in there or they haven't got the license or whatever. And they'll say, Oh, you just have to trust me on that. You know, he definitely flew past. Hey, look, it's one of Thor's friends who's not Thor. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's what everyone wants to see. Exactly. We want to bring in Heimdall, the eternally uh, hungry. If, Heim- if Heimdall, <laughs> if, if you had Idris Elba in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on a week-to-week basis, I would watch it. I'll watch anything Idris Elba's in. Exactly. But it's not Idris Elba. It's oh. one of the other ones. That's right. <laughs> on Jessica Jones, I think that this is one of the most important developments in film this year, and I think it's really exciting to watch a flawed female character being able to play out her story in, you know, 12 episodes. And one of the things that really excited me was that not only is Jessica Jones allowed to develop her character in such a way that it does show that, you know, she has so many problems and those problems that are usually only afforded to men and she is able to push through them and show that, you know, she she can fight like a... She's so amazing, um, and she can do really well in, in that sphere of her life, but she can also just be like absolutely mentally crazy and messed up, um, and I think that that's really important to watch. And I think the other thing that's important about it is that she's in every single shot of... She's in every single scene in the entire series, um, and that sh- constant presence of a strong female character, however flawed, is something that shows us that not only can it work um, in... Uh, in film, it can work in in superheroes um, in franchises, which is not something that's been particularly welcoming to diverse characters in the past. Yeah, I think Marvel's Women had a really good year on the small screen. Uh, not only did you have Jessica Jones, but there was also uh, Agent Carter, which took over yeah. the Agents of Shield time slot earlier in the year. And you know, if you're if you're comparing the two, then Agent Carter is creatively and visually the far superior show and it touches on themes of institutional sexism as well which you don't normally expect on an american broadcast um, drama um jessica jones a a terrific series as well and it really contrasts with you know marvel's continued reluctance to introduce female characters and female voices on the big screen Um, there still isn't a marvel-led um big screen project and indeed when even when it came to um age of ultron that movie's release got swallowed up in controversy over black widow's depiction in the movie and the sort of things that her that scarlett johansson's male co-stars were saying about her character um in interviews and so on um including some pretty shameful stuff in particular from jeremy renner so the fact that, that she's the only uh, female superhero up until that point, right? All the only yeah. sort of one in active. We, uh, we're going to we're going to see Wasp in the new. Um, yeah, the second billing to Ant Man. That's right. The second, well, exactly right. I thought she was. I thought uh, the um, the Wasp character was actually more interesting than than uh, Ant Man in that film. But um, it's a hell of a lot for one character to carry, and of course, because she's the only woman, she carries the entire kind of um, you know the entire expectation. Um, for representation of women in these in these films, and but the fact that she wants to like the criticism of um, her in Age of Ultron was that you know well she's 
she's influenced by the desire to have a family, to take a step back, and so on. People sort of thought, oh, what a you know cliche, or whatever. I mean, really, put it in, if you put it into context, so too is Tony Stark, right? By the end of Iron Man uh, three, he's sort of thinking, oh no, now time to settle down, have a relationship, and take a step back from the Avengers, and so on. Um, so you can see why the fact that she's the only woman, you know, just attracts that additional scrutiny. True. I think the difference there is that he had three three movies in which he could flesh out his character before saying, ah, mm-hmm. well now I want to go into this other part of my part of my humanity and and, and Jessica Jones shows that uh, a Black Widow movie should be possible. And good. I actually think it'd be really good. Yeah, I think that there's certainly a lot more interesting movies that Marvel could make than the one than some of the ones they are making. I'm not particularly enthused to see was particularly enthused to see Ant-Man. I'm not particularly looking forward to Doctor Strange. Um, you know, I think that they're elevating a lot of pretty average male characters. Um, one thing I do want to return to just briefly before we go on is Daredevil, which kind of got swallowed up because it came out earlier in the year, um, and Jessica Jones on a qualitative level in everything except probably fight choreography blew it um, out of the water at the very end of the year. But it is worth looking at what um, Marvel, Disney, and Netflix have done in building up Daredevil and Jessica Jones, which is that... Um, finally there's sort of a, a maturation going on in superhero and comic book adaptations uh, these are you know two franchises that are expressly not for kids the violence features you know the actual consequences of violence people getting hurt people getting wounded people dying rather than just getting a, a scratch above their eye and carrying on um, they feature sex they feature mature adult relationships and they deal with actual adult traumas and um to have reached that point, I think it's a bit of a milestone and I'm looking forward to where it goes with Luke Cage next year. Um, and also, it really contrasts against uh, DC's approach, which um, I think has been pretty lacklustre, especially on film. You can see that Marvel is almost solely responsible for the fact that superhero movies are now taking... Uh, now are, are like a genre, um, like the Western, right? You can keep making new Westerns and they're always interesting. Um, and I think now, to a degree, we have superheroes being able to be treated the same. Time for the wrap-up. What was everyone's favourite movie and TV show in 2015 and what are you looking forward to in 2016? Uh, Let's start with our favourite TV shows and and Nick, let's start with you. Uh, I'm going to pick one comedy and one drama. For my drama, I'm picking the second season of The Leftovers, a little watch but much loved uh, HBO show, really challenging stuff. Um, I don't want to say too much about it, but if you haven't watched The Leftovers, uh, it's just been renewed for a third and final season. It's well worth getting into and for my comedy... Um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, a NBC cast-off that found a new home on Netflix. Um, Tina Fey's comedic voice is always welcome, and it's great to have um, her style of comedy back on TV. Uh, my favourite TV show uh, this year has been um, Broad City, and it's currently in its uh, second season and has been renewed for a third. Uh, it's written and, and stars its um, two lead uh, characters, uh, Alana Glazer and Abby Jacobson, and uh, Annie Poehler is uh, executive producer. Uh, it follows two childish and occasionally brattish young adults um, in their early, early to late 20s trying to make their way through New York. And the comedy and the tone are pretty fresh. Um, and I think what really appeals to me about it is the fact that this is a very amusing story of two young adults who haven't quite figured out their, their lives yet and, and, and they get up to a, a diverse range of uh, adventures. Well, I don't watch movies and I actually can't remember any movies that I've seen this year so I'm picking two TV shows the first one is an Australian like I said before Please Like Me absolutely incredible Josh Thomas writes really well and approaches really interesting themes um, like abortion and um, gay relationships and coming out and those sorts of things which are really great to see in an Australian context because we don't often see that and the second one is Master of None 
uh, which is Aziz Ansari's show, which I wasn't expecting to like, but actually really loved, has really clever writing and also approaches um, interesting themes, particularly uh, episodes like uh, the episode about um, immigration and talking about migrant being a, a migrant family um, and also the way that his relationship develops and talking about essentially growing up through the prism of different people's relationships and different things. Really excellent shows. Um, these guys have been really mature and picked mature uh, topics, uh, mature shows. My favourite show um, is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, it is uh, excellent. I think we're going for a third season. It's extremely funny. I don't like uh, the... Uh, or I hadn't previously liked um, Andy, the, the guy who writes it and, and stars in it, um, but he is really excellent in this. He's got a fantastic ensemble cast, including like Terry Crews. And the, I also say there's a lot of um, ass-kicking female characters in it. Um, and uh, my favourite film of the year uh, was Fury Road, which, again, I didn't like initially... Um, but the more I got into it, I just sort of let the, you know, the violence wash over me. And sort of once I got through the, through that, it's visually incredible. It's got really fantastic um, performances. I think Tom Hardy uh, is a lead, but not a lead. Uh, he's also, you know, not even an anti-hero. He's kind of like just the, uh, the MacGuffin of the film. Um, but, you know, again, ass-kicking female character in Furiosa. Um, I think uh, Charlize Theron's great. Hilarious to see all of your favourite Australian actors as, like, monstrous villains in uh you know in, in various incarnations um so yeah I, I had a great time with fury road as well uh, my favorite films uh, this year were the martian and mistress america um the martian's based on uh, andy weir's 2011 novel of the same name it's directed by ridley scott features a, a very star-studded cast including matt damon jessica chastain michael Payne, um kirsten wig jeff daniels uh, and chiwetel ejiofor uh, simply put tells the story of a, a crew member of a mission to Mars who is left behind after the mission is aborted due to a severe storm. Uh, and what on first glance appears to be another demoralising and gut-wrenching survival story turns out to be you know, pretty, uh, a pretty fun uh, and inspiring and often comical lesson in, in science and problem-solving. Um, and, and the characters all have you know, each their own sense of humour, in particular uh, Matt Damon's character, and you get the sense that it's, it's their senses of humour which uh, gets them through some pretty bleak situations. Uh, and just quickly, Mistress America, co-written by the film's director, Noan Baumbach, and uh, lead actor Greta Gerwig, uh, almost similar to, to Broad City in that you have a story about two young women trying to make a life for themselves in, in New York. Um, you know, uh, Gerwig's performance uh, is, is really captivating. She's hilarious, charming, and, and, um, and you know, it, it's, it's a real sight to see. My favourite movie of the year, uh, since I'm not going to pick Fury Road uh, twice, was Sicario, um, a really tense uh, war on drugs thriller starring Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin. Um, it kind of applies the moral ambiguity and sense of tension out of 70s political thrillers to a very modern concept. Beautifully shot, incredibly tense. If you're looking for something that uh, deals with the ambiguities of the war on drugs in a very cinematic way, I think Sicario is um, really a great movie and one that will be referred to a lot in the years to come. Tom, what are you looking forward to in 2016? Again, I'm going to be uh, really immature and say Deadpool. Um, I think um, Ryan Reynolds has been really bad, right, in a number of superhero roles. In The Avengers, when they cast Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, that had been a long-standing joke in the comic books that everyone drew Nick, Nick Fury as Samuel L. Jackson. The same is true of Ryan Reynolds. 
Ryan Reynolds has been part of Deadpool. It's going to be R, which all of the uh, fans of this comic um, have been asking for forever. Um, it's going to be the most ass-kicking superhero you've ever seen. Uh, it's going to be... He's the fast-talkingest, um, most dirty-mouthed superhero you'll ever see. Uh, and I think, uh, from based on the trailer anyway, and on all the coverage of Comic-Con and so on, it looks like they're actually hit the nail on the head with the tone of this one. I'm actually looking forward to a show that I have an absolute love-hate relationship with. Um, and I think a lot of the people I talk to do, uh, do as well. It's Girls, which a lot of people love and I can't stand but watch out of a sort of like feminist obligation because I think that it's something important that I should see and kind of also can't tear my, tear my eyes away from. Um, so I'm interesting to see, interested to see how that plays out and whether or not we get some cool new characters that um, enhance the story a little more. It's actually slated for release in late December uh, this year but I'm really looking forward to the big short it's a comedy drama about the build-up of the US housing and, and credit bubble, which led to the GFC. Uh, I'm really banking on this to be my next Moneyball. Uh, the film is based on the book of the same name, written by Michael Lewis, who wrote Moneyball. Uh, it also features a, a top-notch cast of Christian Bale, uh, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling and Brad Pitt, also from Moneyball. And uh, I'm a big fan of Michael Lewis' uh, stories. He loves getting behind the scenes, showing readers the, the real and often different side of how certain industries or workplaces operate like he did with uh, Moneyball or his, his Vanity Fair article of President Obama. Um, he always delivers a, a really insightful story. Uh, I'm looking forward to The Revenant, which is Alejandro Inaritu's and apologies to him if I mangled his name. New movie starring Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy. It's based on the story of um, Hugh Glass, who is a, an 18th century uh, American frontiersman, um, promises to be... Uh, a bit of a cinematic thrill ride. Beyond that, I'm looking forward to seeing whether or not everyone's bold predictions about the popularity of virtual reality in interactive entertainment pan out, or whether it's just another uh, flash in the pan and doesn't really go anywhere. Either way, it'll be interesting to see where that technology, which has been really long gestating, um, actually winds up and whether or not it affects the way we uh, enjoy media. Tom, Nick and M, thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you.